We're wrapping up the series that we have been in called Realm. And as we talked about, realm is just a synonym for the kingdom of God or the reign of God that's all over us, around us. And we have talked about the fact that this was one of Jesus' favorite subjects. He talks about it almost more than any other topic. And so we talked about the fact that we need to live with an awareness of the kingdom of God all around us as we live. And last week we talked about how do we find the kingdom and we, do we understand that it is right in front of us in plain sight? And so we talked about how we find it. And today we're going to be talking about our response of the kingdom. That once we experience the kingdom, what do we do with that good news? Do we understand it's not just our own personal treasure that we keep to ourselves and that we savor and enjoy once we receive this message It's one that we have to pass on. We have to share it with others. It literally defines our ministry and purpose in life, living and sharing the kingdom. We're also continuing a wonderful tradition in our church that we have uh, to honor the memory of the late Dr. Ken Deem. He was a Methodist preacher who served with distinction many churches in our annual conference. When he died, he was the pastor of First Methodist Grapevine. Ken was a very close personal friend of mine And I was always intrigued the Sunday after the Super Bowl, he would build his sermon on Super Bowl commercials. Now, I don't know how he did that for the whole time. Now, Pastor Todd is smart enough to figure it out, but I never was. So what we do is we lift up one commercial from the Super Bowl to use to illustrate a point. And so we're continuing that. But this year, we're doing not one commercial, but two commercials. And the reason is there's been a lot of talk a conversation around the nation, and you may have heard it about the Jesus commercials that ran. And the first one of these commercials is really significant because it's about the kingdom of God. And it gives us a message of the kingdom, and I lift it for us so that we need to be tuned in, aware, so whenever these messages of the kingdoms are around us, that we can be aware of them. So let's watch the first of these Jesus commercials. of Christians from Oklahoma put those together, and it is true. That is how the kingdom comes to us. In fact, isn't that exactly what Jesus told us in Matthew 18, 3? Remember what Jesus said about the kingdom? Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, for Jesus, there was something about the awe and the wonder and the excitement and the trust of children that are an entrance to the kingdom. Unless we change and become like children, we're never going to enter that kingdom. But once we do enter the kingdom, Jesus gives us a very adult mission to be about. And the mission has never changed from the first generation of Christians to today. We received our marching orders. Jesus' last words before he ascended to heaven, he gathered his followers there on the mountain 
And he gave them their marching orders that are our marching orders. Every generation, this is what we're called to do. This should define our business as Christians. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's our job, to make disciples of all nations, to bring people into the faith and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I love as we receive our marching orders, Jesus teaches us how to do that in these kingdom parables. And we get a beautiful picture in our parable for today. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn now to Matthew 13, and we're going to read verses 47 through 50. Matthew 13, 47 through 50, hear the word of God. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We read about this net and it is known as a sane net or a trawl net. And actually it was used very commonly in Jesus' day, quite a large net and there were weights at the corners. And so when you would throw the net into the water, it would almost stand upright and then you would sail or row the boat toward the shore. And when you would move the boat, the net would kind of form almost like the shape of a cone and anything in the path would get swept up into the net. All kinds of things, good things and bad things, fish that you wanted, fish that you didn't want, trash, debris. And so when they would get to the shore, they would lay the net out and they would start uh, start sorting this. All the trash, all the debris, all the fish they didn't want would be thrown out the good fish would be put in containers with water in them so that they could be transported and stay alive. Now this image of fishing was one that that Jesus loved. Remember his first disciples he called and he went to them on the seashore and said, come and follow me and I will make you fish for men and women. He loved to call us fishers of people. That is what we are called and supposed to do. So do we understand the lesson of this scripture? And as we wrap our minds around it, I want us to think again about one of the Super Bowl commercials that I think kind of tells what we're supposed to do in a modern way. Let me set the story of the commercial up. There was obviously a family during COVID, they were staying home from work and school, working from home, studying from home, and they got a little puppy. Well, the puppy grew up expecting all his people to be there all the time. And so they were there with them. And finally, when the COVID isolation was over and they had to go back to work and back to school, the puppy was not used to being alone for long periods of time and had a little bit of an adjustment period. Let's watch the commercial from last week. Breakfast is ready. Excited to see you in person. Don't forget your homework. Back to the office next week, right? Can you believe it? Now you're all grown up. Lockdown is over. Oh, how fast. Be a good boy. 
Okay, that's made me cry every time that I have seen that. But I love that because I think there is a lesson there. And that is that we were not created to be alone. And that poor puppy had an adjustment to those times, but I think we do as well. Followers of Jesus Christ were called to keep welcoming others into the circle of Christ's love. In fact, I love the line, Christ's love goes on and on and on. We need to understand that. In fact, it's one other thing I want us to see real quickly. And that is, notice one other thing that underlies this scripture passage. And really all of these kingdom parables. It's a human trait that God wired us with. And that is when we discover something important or significant, we want to tell others about it. Think about it. If you find a really good movie that you liked or a wonderful TV show or a great restaurant or you have an experience, you want to tell people about it. You want them to know what we found. You want them to get excited because we're excited. We pass that on. The same thing ought to happen about Jesus. When we get excited about our Savior, when we get excited about living in the kingdom, we can't keep it to ourselves. We have to pass it on. We have to tell others what we found. We have to share what we know about God. We have to throw those nets out and include others in the circle of Christ's love that goes on and on and on. Simply put, we, we got to go fish. Um, in fact, it, um, it actually would have been a gorgeous day to go fishing. July 6th, 2013. And in Northern California, the, the temperatures were hanging in the, in the mid 60s. There was this gentle breeze blowing out of the south, southwest. It was shaping up to be an absolutely perfect day. It was the day that the Asiana Airlines Flight 214 was due in. It was coming in for a, a landing at San Francisco's International Airport. They'd been traveling, they had traveled over 5,000 miles, and they were just five miles, they were just five miles away from home. They're five miles out, the air traffic controllers from San Francisco had called in, they'd radioed the crew and they'd given them their final approach instructions and then not a couple of minutes later, they were, they were cleared for, the, for final landing. And, and that's whenever the pilot, that's when the pilot made his fatal mistake. That's whenever the pilot chose the, the wrong setting for the, for the autopilot. And they didn't know, the crew didn't know, the, the, 
The crew didn't know that the plane at that moment, the plane stopped keeping track of its airspeed. They didn't know. The the crew didn't know that the plane was going dangerously slow. The crew didn't know that the plane was descending dangerously fast. They didn't know. They didn't know until it was too late. They didn't know until that that flight, that Boeing 777, its back wheels, its back landing gears, hit the seawall that's just short of the runway and it broke off the tail section. And that plane had nearly 300 people on it. It skidded down the runway. It did an almost perfect 360 on the tarmac. Three people died. Over 180 others were, were injured. It was the very first fatality accident that the 777 was involved in. And it all happened because the crew was on autopilot. And I wonder how many of us are too. I wonder how many of us are, or with our lives, we've, we've got our lives set on, on autopilot. I wonder how many of our faiths are set on autopilot. We're just kind of letting them cruise along. We're just kind of let them take care of themselves. Our focus, our attention's on other things. It's, on work, it's on school, it's on all the relationships of our lives. We just kind of have our spirits on autopilot and, and then we, we dare to wonder why we feel so alone. Our souls are on autopilot and then we dare to, to wonder why, why we feel so empty, why, why we feel so overwhelmed and, and lost. Our spirits are on autopilot. Then we have the audacity to wonder why the kingdom, why the kingdom feels so far away. The kingdom. The kingdom, that place where the the wolf lies down with the lamb, it's the kingdom. The kingdom, that place that, that, that occurs in here first and then out there, the kingdom. The kingdom, that place where where swords are beaten into plowshares in here first and then out there. The kingdom feels so far away, both in here and out there. It feels so far away, but maybe, maybe it feels so far away because we haven't done what we're supposed to do to bring it near. Maybe it is that we've, we've been on autopilot. Maybe we failed to fish. But what Jesus tells us is that a day is coming, a day is coming when it will be too late. A day is coming whenever the fish will be, when the fish will be sorted. And it'll be a bittersweet day. A day of, of amazing joy. And yet a day of, of terrific loss. Of agonizing loss, of, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And God tells us about it. God warns us about it time and time and time again throughout Scripture. And so whenever we read passages like this, these, this weeping and gnashing of teeth, whenever we read passages like this throughout the Bible, I think we need to remember, we need to remember God's heart in those moments. We need to remember God's heart behind these words. We need to remember that God isn't trying to get us, that God isn't looking for an excuse to zap us. When we read words like this, we need to hear the heartbreak behind it. This is a desperate, guttural plea, God trying to warn us. In fact, a few weeks ago, 
whenever all those rains were coming down, when all those rains were soaking, soaking our friends out in California, um, the California Highway Patrol, they actually put out a pretty desperate warning of their own. On all their social media accounts, in as many ways as they could, they were trying to, to, tell, to, to tell drivers about the dangers of driving then. Um, they, they had gone out to all these roads and they had placed all of these signs, all of these barricades, trying to, to warn drivers, trying to warn drivers about these, these washed out roads, these flooded roads, these roads where, where very real sinkholes ha- had formed. But wouldn't you know, time and time again, drivers simply ignored it. They went right around the barricades, they simply ignored the, all the warnings that had been put out. And they did so to their peril. I mean, I don't know if you can see those cars, those cars have fallen into the earth. And again, I don't know if you can see it, but if you, can you read the words from Officer Tracy of the California Highway Patrol? She gets progressively snarkier and snarkier throughout the entire day. She's in the state of disbelief. We've sent these warnings and you failed to heed them. And look at what you've lost. Well, God does the same thing just without the snark. Without the anger, God tries, God tries to warn us. And not in that way, not in that way that maybe we've heard preachers do before. Not like those well-intentioned ministers that maybe we've heard in our past, ministers that would take verses like these and, and use them to for lack of a better way of saying it, ministers who would use these passages to, to try to literally scare the hell out of us, all right? These words are not intended to scare us. God is not trying to scare us into the arms of Jesus because he knows that that sort of faith, that faith that's based in fear, that's founded on fear, that sort of faith never lasts. It doesn't work. No. It, These words, they're they're not trying to scare us into the arms of Jesus. The only faith that lasts, that kingdom building faith that lasts, it doesn't happen whenever we're scared into the arms of Jesus. It only lasts whenever we fall into the arms of Jesus. Whenever we fall so in love with with who he is and, and what he's done, when we fall so in love with him that we let him change every fiber of our being to the point that we can't help but to share the good news written all over our faces. And so, friends, church, it is, it is high time. It is, it is past time for, for us to go back and to, to, to reclaim that old, scary E-word. I am an unapologetic evangelical. I think I can speak for both. We are unapologetic evangelicals. And I know, we know that that word, it's got some baggage with it these days. We know that this word over the past couple of years, this word has gotten beaten up. Whenever I say that I'm an evangelical, I mean it in the way that our founders knew the word. I am an evangelical because I think the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I believe that it has power. I believe that it has power to change lives. In fact, I believe that it's the only thing that does. It is the only thing that can. I'm an evangelical because I believe that the the good news of the gospel is actually good. It's good news. It's not this mean, scary, judgmental thing that too many people have made it out to be. And those of us who know that, Those of us who have experienced that, those of us who have experienced that grace, 
We have this profound duty. We have a holy obligation to tell the world that, that we, that our very lives, our lives become a commercial. Our lives should become a commercial for the kingdom, to, to gossip about it, to tell the good news, to share the good news, to, to whisper the good news, to shout the good news. Because that's all really sharing our witnesses. It's about us being willing to share the stories of the difference that, that Jesus has made in our own lives. It's, it's not about having all the answers, because who does? It's not, it's not about winning every debate, because who can? It's simply about us being willing to allow others to invite others to experience the power and the presence of God through our own experiences. But to do that, to do that, we're gonna have to go. To do that, we gotta go. If we're gonna fish, we gotta go where the fish are. And remember, it's not about us being judgmental. We don't get to be judgmental. That's not our job, that's not our lane. We are not the judges in this. Our call, our call is to go. Our call is to meet folks exactly where they are and to get them in the net. To meet them exactly where they are, get them in the net, and to trust that God, that God will do God's thing. And that sort of thing, fishing, fishing doesn't happen on autopilot. The kingdom doesn't come on autopilot. We gotta go. And saying that, it means that sometimes we're, we're gonna have to go to some pretty scary, some pretty uncomfortable places. And I'm not just talking about physical places. With us going, sometimes it means that we're gonna to have to go to some pretty scary, to some, some pretty uncomfortable emotional places. Sometimes it means that we're gonna to have to go to some pretty scary, some pretty, some, some pretty uncomfortable intellectual places, some, some pretty scary, some pretty uncomfortable spiritual places. But we go and we cast out our net and we let God work. We gotta go. And then we got to listen. I'd never heard it before. I never heard it before until like 15 years ago. Um, I heard Pastor John answer someone's question. About 15 years ago, a woman had asked Pastor John this question. She had asked, what's the very first step in sharing our faith? And, and growing up, I had taken all sorts of faith sharing classes. I had been trained in, in all sorts, in a bunch of different programs, but Pastor John's answer, it blew my mind. Because he said, it's just listening. The very first step in sharing our faith, it's, it's just listening. It's just sitting around a table or sitting in a boardroom or sitting in a locker room and listening. It's listening for openings. It's listening for opportunities. It's listening for opportunities to share our story. It's, it's listening for opportunities to, to, to bring that conversation back to faith, to bring that conversation back to Jesus. It's listening for opportunities to bring that conversation, to boast in the power of the cross. And those opportunities, those openings, those, those sacred moments, those holy pivots, man, that's the sweet spot. But hear me, it's, it's, not about, it's not about us manipulating those conversations. It's just about us being invested in those conversations. It's just about us actually being present and listening and, and looking 
and praying for an opening, praying for an open door, and then, then being willing to walk through, to go through, to, to go fish with love and with gentleness and respect, just offering a good word for the good news. And while we're talking about it, I think we need to let ourselves off the hook too, which is an unfortunate, unintended fishing pun. Um, we gotta let ourselves off the hook though, the, the pressure of, of outcomes. Whenever we're witnessing, whenever we're sharing our story, we gotta let ourselves off the, the pressure of the outcomes, the pressure of the results, because not even Jesus convinced everyone that, that, that he, he witnessed to. He didn't convince everyone that, that he had this discussion with. All we gotta do is be faithful to, to cast the net. All we have to do is be faithful to, to plant the seeds and then to water them and to nurture them and, and to prune them, trusting that God and God's good timing, that God will provide the growth. We gotta remember that it's not our job to create the tidal wave. We just gotta be faithful to, to start the ripple because that's how the kingdom comes. We gotta go, we gotta listen, and then we gotta share. At some point we're gonna have to share our story, which means we're gonna have to know our story. I mean, that's my story. I, I grew up in an amazing Christian home, and, and I thank God for that, I don't take that for granted. I grew up in an amazing Christian home. I was at church pretty much any time the doors were open. There has never been a moment, there has never been a time in my life when I didn't know that, that Jesus loved me. I mean, I, I've given Jesus plenty of opportunity to second guess that decision. I have always known that Jesus loved me. There's never been a day that that's been in doubt. I've always known God here. I've always known God here, but it took someone inviting me to experience him, to know God, to encounter God here. Took someone inviting me to encounter God in my heart, to encounter God, to know God in my soul. And that's what made all the difference. To me, that's what, that's what made all the difference. It was at the Methodist Children's Home, my freshman year of college. Charles Franklin took me aside. He was the chaplain there at the time. He took me aside and he told me that no matter how broken, no no matter how dirty, no matter how discarded I felt that God wasn't going to give up on me. It was Travis who taught me about grace, not about cheap grace, but about grace purchased with righteous blood, and it made all the difference. That was whenever my faith got off autopilot, right? and because one man took the time one man cared enough to go fishing. And it made all the difference. Because that's when God, that's when God became different. That's when God became real. That's when faith became different and when faith became real. And that's when faith started to make a real difference. And it wasn't because I was scared. And it wasn't because I, I was pressured. It was because I was loved. It's because I felt loved. It's because I knew, I knew I was loved. Thy kingdom come, Lord. Thy will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. As we pray.
my Lord, in the midst of a whole bunch of excuses, we pray that you would come to us and that you, God, would take us and that you would bring us out from, from every excuse, from every response, from every reason why not, Lord whether it's fear or busyness, whatever it is, Lord, that's, that's keeping us from living in the fullness of your kingdom, whatever is keeping us on autopilot, Lord, we pray that you would come and by, by the power and the presence of your spirit, by that wisdom, that, that tenacity that only you give, Lord, that you would put our feet, that you would direct our feet in a different course. Because Lord, we're tired of the emptiness and the loneliness and we know that you've created us for more. So Lord, come to us and enable us. Give us the, the will, give us the, the desire to go and to listen and to share. God, thank you. Thank you for the promise that you will never give up on us, no matter how broken or dirty or discarded we feel. Thank you for never giving up on us. And Lord, we pray that you wouldn't let us give up on ourselves either. And don't let us give up on each other either, Lord. But come and have your way. Because we know that there are some with us this morning who haven't made that decision yet. Maybe we're on the fence. Maybe we're nowhere even near the gate, but this morning, Lord, we're curious. Lord, stoke those fires. Bless that curiosity and help us to take whatever the next step looks like. Lord, that we might know you. Your love and your grace and your redemption, your mercy that calls us home that amazing grace that changes everything, Lord. We pray for the reality, for the manifest reality, the undeniable reality of your love, Lord, to come and to make a difference. So come to us, Lord, take us, change us, use us, God, to build your kingdom, all and only for the glory of your name, because it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.